Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. Today's episode features David Luff with a message called The Principles of Stewardship. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful this morning that we serve a risen Savior. We're so thankful that the risen Savior is not just in the world today, but he lives within our hearts. This gives us a unique and very special identity. And it should encourage us in times of discouragement and despair that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that that spirit of the risen Christ that we celebrate at this time of the year is with us, is present with us, and lives within us, and will never leave us or forsake us. This morning, I was thinking, on my last trip to India, there are a couple of flight legs that are around 10 hours from here to Paris, and then from Paris to Bangalore. I was thinking as you, as as you, they call for the boarding of the plane and everybody's hustling to get in line. And, you know, there's always those that are kind of pushing and shoving for some reason or other. You know, the plane's not going to take off without them. But, but there's all that struggle to get there and get in line and get in the plane. And everybody wants to be in a hurry and so on. But there's lots of stirring around. People are shuffling to find their seats and get their luggage overhead. You know, you've traveled and you know how that is. And... and the flight attendants are going around checking, make everybody sure they got their seatbelts on and so on, and then the pilot will come on and tell the flight attendants to take their seats. We're number one for takeoff, then they pull in to the to the runway and everybody's waiting, you know, and then you, you can sense the pilot is pushing the throttle forward and the engines roll and sometimes the, the wings shake and there's lots of, you know, there's anticipation and so on and the plane goes and it, it goes along and then it... It, it, the front end sort of tips up a little bit, and then it then it lifts off the ground, and and it climbs at a fairly rapid pace uh, until oh, after about thirty minutes or so, it reaches a cruising altitude of about thirty five thousand feet, and it levels off, and nothing much happens for the next nine hours. <laughs> Thankfully. But you're hardly even aware that you're moving. (laughs) Every once in a while you hit a little turbulence and you realize that you're not on solid ground. But otherwise, you're hardly aware that you're moving at all. But yet you're cruising along at about 550 miles an hour. Progress is being made. The plane is moving towards its destination. And yet, there's very little outwardly happening as far as what we can see. And I was thinking about this move of the Spirit. How, of course, as many of you were not here at the beginning, but we've heard the accounts of that. Many wonderful and exciting things were happening, and the foundation for this was being laid. 
But there comes a time in which our walk gets a little bit less of the outward excitement and begins to settle in to the daily, mundane sometimes, if you will, walk. It is in that time that the Spirit of God is probably doing the most work in our lives. If we will submit ourselves to Him and let Him do that. I would like to spend some time this morning talking about the principle of stewardship. I think I may have spoken on something of this topic maybe a couple of years ago, but I want to come at it from a little different angle this morning. I guess the the central scripture that would sort of be the theme, if there would be this morning, is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. This has been a great comfort to me in many areas because it says to me that my responsibilities are not so much for the results. My responsibility is just to be faithful in following according to the pattern that God has laid out. I appreciated so much this morning the scripture that Brother Merv Sunbow quoted, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It is incumbent upon us as stewards that we be found faithful to follow the pattern that God has set forward for our lives. What is a steward? Have you ever stopped to think about what a steward really is? Well, this is from Webster's Dictionary. A steward is a person who manages another's property or financial affairs. One who administers anything as the agent of another. The definition of stewardship is this. The responsible overseeing and protection of something considered worth caring for and preserving. This is what God has given us the responsibility to do, and that is to be faithful stewards over His property. This property covers a wide range of things. They're not just spiritual things, as important as that is. It covers daily things that we sort of think of as being perhaps secular. But for those who are spiritual, I submit to you that all things are spiritual. Every decision that we make, every action that we take, from, from mopping the floor to, uh, to making critical business decisions, they're all spiritual decisions. And they should be committed to God for, for His sanctification. I sort of, I guess, homogenized some of these things and sort of came up with one of my own for what it's worth. 
It's meeting God-given goals and objectives using God-given resources through the application of God-given principles. By the light of the Holy Spirit. We can talk about these things. There are many things that the, the Scriptures say to us. But the key is always the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Meeting God-given goals and objectives using God-given resources through the application of God-given principles by the light given to us by the Holy Spirit. The Scripture says to us, it is the Spirit that giveth life. The flesh profits nothing. Everything, everything that we read in the Scriptures, in order for that to be empowered in our lives, it has to be, I think, enlightened to us by the Holy Spirit. And some of the things that I will say to you today may sound a little bit like we're just talking about very, oh, I don't know what you would call it, maybe, maybe everyday things. But let me assure you this, that the things that I am saying to you, I believe with all of my heart, not just because I have experienced them, but it is because they have made, been made real to me by the Holy Spirit. And that's why I think I can speak to you with confidence not because of my wisdom, but because of what the Holy Spirit has revealed. And He is revealing that, I think, to the church. Now, getting back to stewardship, who was the first of God's stewards? Adam was, sure. Genesis 1 and 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Genesis 2 and 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. From the very beginning, God began to share and delegate responsibility for that which He owns and that which he had created, and shared that with Adam to oversee and to tend and to take care of. I'd like to read the parable that Jesus told us from Luke chapter 19, 12, verses 12 through 27. I know it's a bit long, but I think it's important for us. I know it's familiar, but I'd like for us to just let the Spirit of God speak to us as we... Hear the words of the risen Christ. He said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. The J.B. Phillips translates that last phrase as, Use this money to trade with until I come back. 
But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. Now that's a pretty significant increase. I figure it's about a thousand percent. Very good return on the man's investment. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. What he's saying is, he said the same thing to him, well, good and faith, you good servant, because you have been faithful over a little, then take authority over five cities. And he said likewise to him, be thou also over five cities. And another came saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury or interest? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. Do you ever wonder about that? Why he gave it to the man that had ten pounds? What would you do if you had a pound? He'd give it to the man that that got the biggest return. So that shouldn't be a real surprise to us. God, well, let me go on. Let's read on a little bit. And he saith unto him, Out of thy own mouth I will judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knowest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou money into the bank, that my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And we go on to verse 26. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken from him. I think it is apparent from this scripture that we can see that God is dead serious about how his stewards manage his resources. Now, stewardship covers a wide range of responsibilities. First of all, we must understand a few basic principles. One is that God is the owner of all things. As the owner, He has rights. Second, we are stewards. 
And as stewards, we have responsibilities. He is the owner. He has rights. We are stewards. We have responsibilities. We do not have a secular life and a spiritual life. All things are spiritual to the man or woman to whom to whom that belong to God. Every decision, as we mentioned earlier, is a spiritual decision. Every action has spiritual consequences in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10 and 31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That says to me that once we come to the Lord, then everything is spiritual. Whether we eat or whether we drink, whatever we do, that covers all these natural things that we do. Whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. Colossians 3 and 22 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Even in the workplace, what we do is spiritual. We do it as unto the Lord. Now let's look at some areas where we have stewardship responsibilities. God has given many of us, some more than others, natural gifts. And we're responsible before God of how we use the natural gifts that God has given us. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So everything, everything that God has given us in the way of natural gifts, they're not spiritual gifts, but they can be, they can be sanctified. They can be brought before the Lord, laid on the altar, and God can use those natural gifts for His glory and for the advancement of His kingdom. And we are responsible as stewards for seeing to that in the proper way. God has given us, by His Spirit, spiritual gifts. And we are responsible as stewards for how we exercise those spiritual gifts. That is our responsibility as stewards. 1 Peter 4 and 10 As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 1 Corinthians 4 and 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We are responsible to be good stewards of time. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. And this I read from the NIV. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, 
but is wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It is so easy in the day in which we live to waste time. There are so many little devices, and you know what I'm talking about, that can just eat up time so fast and it's gone before you know it. We are accountable to this. We are accountable for this before God, how we use our time. And we need to stop every once in a while and take stock of how we're using our time. Are we using it in a way that would please God? We are responsible for the stewardship of our families and our children. Proverbs 22 and 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But we are responsible for the training. It takes time, it takes planning, it takes effort, especially in the hour in which we live, where there is so much busyness. So many opportunities for children to do so many things. Now think about that scripture again that was quoted this morning. There's a way that seemeth right. You know, you think, oh, they need music lessons. They need hockey training. They need this and that and that and the other. And I'm not saying that's not good, that, that a measure of that is not good. It's useful. But if we're not careful, so much is a matter of balance, <laughs> How do we balance these things? And that is where the stewardship responsibilities come. Ephesians 6 and 4, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now one could could take any one of these areas and pursue this at length. And it would be valuable to do so. However, I would like to go into a bit more detail about one particular area, and that is the area of money. In, in thinking about this, I said, Lord, do I have to do this? Because <laughs> I, really I really don't want to do this. And yet, this is the only thing He seemed to keep impressing on me, so you'll just have to bear with me. <laughs> There are spiritual people, I believe, that think that all money is basically filthy lucre. That is not worthy of a spiritual person to even think about money. I don't, I don't find that borne out in the Scripture. Now, I know that, that money circulates through a lot of things that are filthy. And money can be filthy lucre. But you know, what God gives us, if we lay it before Him and ask God to bless that, I believe He sanctifies that. You know, we pray over our food before we eat it. We ask God's blessing upon it so that that food will be sanctified for our bodies. I think the same thing is true with the money that God allows us to earn. If it is earned in an honest way, then I think we can ask, and we should, ask God's blessing on our resources. We should ask God to bless the money that comes to us. 
that it might be sanctified and that we might learn to be good stewards. I think God could have used anything in this example uh, in the parable that we read. We read the same, very similar in the, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew. In each case, God uses money. So, I mean, He could have used other things if He didn't want us to think about money, but I think He does. And, he, and the Scripture says a lot about money. And so I think it is a test of our stewardship. If we can be faithful over something like earthly money, then be faithful over kingdom things. So I want to talk now a little bit about financial stewardship. There are several principles that kind of are overarching in this area. These are not new things I've heard administered before by people who are much more capable than I am, but it seems that we are in a time in which as we get, as we drill down and start seeing what people are struggling with in their lives, so much of it seems to be around money. So it seems like it's a timely thing for us to address. Principle number one, God owns it all and He can take whatever He wants whenever He wants it. Psalm 50 verses 9 through 12. I will take no bullock out of thy house nor he goats out of thy foals. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee. For the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. God owns it all. Let us get that straight. We don't own anything. We are merely stewards of God's resources that He gives, He allows us for a period of time to manage for Him. And we will give account of how we have managed His resources. The second principle, the second part of that is, He can take whatever He wants, whenever He wants. And you may think, oh my, what if God comes and takes it? Well, what if He does? To me, there's a degree of comfort in that to know that my responsibility for what I had, what He has given me is to be faithful to manage it properly as a steward. If He comes for it, it's His. He can take it whenever He wants. Our responsibility is to manage properly until He comes. <laughs> and when He comes, He can take it, He can do whatever He wants with it. Praise the Lord. That's not, my, that's not our concern. Our concern is to be good stewards of what He has entrusted to us. Luke 12, verses 16 through 20. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plenty. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he, and he said, And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? I, th- I think that 
this man, although he had accumulated great wealth, he was not a good steward. Otherwise, he could have said at any time, you know, this is what the Lord has given me. Lord, what do you want me to do with it? The Lord doesn't want us, and we'll talk a bit more about this, He doesn't want us just to accumulate great quantities of wealth, if that were possible, just so we can eat, drink, and be merry. God wants us to be good stewards of that. If he had, To whom He has given much, much is going to be required. But the point is not, we're not talking about, the point of this is not great sums. The responsibility is to be faithful. Whether you have been given ten pounds or one pound is not the point. The point is our faithfulness as stewards of what He has entrusted to us. God owns it all. As such, He has the rights. As stewards, we have responsibilities. Principle number two. Every financial or spending decision is a spiritual decision. I'm not talking about every quarter you spend on a piece of candy or whatever, but not necessarily. But every, but, but we are, we are, we are spending, investing, doing something with God's resources. And we should not be making certainly major financial decisions, spending decisions or whatever, that we don't take that to the Lord. We should not be making any significant financial decisions without the involvement of our spouses. I've told you stories, I'm not going to repeat them, where I've learned the hard way, but I did learn. And I always consult my wife on financial decisions. We work together on those things. You have to be together in the area of your finances. This is the pattern that God has set before us. Principle number three. In the stewardship of financial matters, we are to be faithful. Stewardship in any area of life, including manage of money, is first about the process rather than the results. I was thinking about the the pattern that God has set before us in every area of life is so important. And our responsibility is to follow the pattern. You know, in in looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says this, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says, you present your bodies. That to me says, you're presenting your your daily life to Him. Everything to Him. You're just presenting that. And he says that is a reasonable sacrifice for us. That is not something that is, that is too hard to do. And then he says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't follow those ways that seemeth right unto a man. But 
Let the Spirit of God transform your minds. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can take these things of daily interest and transform them for us into spiritual reality. So that when we walk in them, we are not going with no peace of mind. Because you're, you're, it's so easy to say, this doesn't seem right to me. You know, to my mind and my way of thinking, this way doesn't seem right. Uh-uh. You come back and say, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. Let the Spirit of God transform us that we may be able to prove then what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. The first thing we do is we depart from that pattern of the world. The next thing we do is let the Spirit of God transform us in our thinking and in our minds. And then, through our experience, we will prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because we are work, we are living out our lives according to the pattern that God has set before us. God has given us the pattern for the church, the structure of the church, the overseeing of the church, all the way from the, the apostolic oversight all the way into the family. God has revealed that to us. That is His pattern. If we will walk faithfully according to that pattern, we will then be able in our very results to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I can't overemphasize this enough. We must not let ourselves be drawn away into the pattern of the world. Now, there are some very subtle things, and and particularly in the area of money that can look very attractive, that seemeth right unto a man. I, I, was, I was in a grocery store the other day, and this, this man came up to me that used to work in, in our department there at, at, this, at Eastland where I worked. He retired about the same time I did. And I just asked him, I said, Whitey, how are you, how are you doing? He said, well, as long as the government keeps sending me my Social Security check, I guess we'll be okay. And I thought to myself, this man had a good retirement from the company. Wonder, I said, well, I did, did you take, how did you take your retirement? Did you take lump sum or did you take annuity or what did you take? He said, well, I took it all as a lump sum. Boy, I sure wish I hadn't. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I put it here and I put it there. And he said, we went, you know, and then we went through the two worst recessions probably in many years. And he said, I lost half of it. And then he said, I took the other half and invested in BP stock. And that was before the oil spill. And I lost the rest of it. Just, just like that, there was a way that seemed right unto him, but the end thereof were the ways of destruction. Didn't kill him, but now he's dependent totally on government resources. I'm not preaching a gospel of prosperity. Don't get me wrong. But God is interested. And He says, I think it's a matter of our attitude. It's again a matter of faithfulness. Are we doing things according to the pattern of God? If we are, then we should have peace of mind about financial matters. God is interested in 
in proper stewardship of finances so we can have peace of mind. He does not. He is the prince of peace. And if we're, if we're, if we're agitated and fretful and so on about money, something, something is missing. And I know everyone goes through hard patches in their life. I'm not saying that that's not true. But we must first begin to take stock in, in seeing are we doing things according to the pattern that the Lord has given us. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is telling us the the Word of God is good for every aspect of our life. It's anywhere from our spiritual exercises all the way through to how we handle our money. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You know, I am so thankful for that verse because I am simple when it comes to financial matters. I am simple. I don't have all of this natural world's wisdom. I'm not a Warren Buffett or whoever else you want to talk about that's big in the areas of money and all that. I'm simple. But it says the testimony of the Lord is sure it makes the wise the simple. If we, if we follow the pattern in the instruction that God has given us, we don't have to be wise in the ways of the world. We can be simple and we can become wise because God has showed us the pattern and we walk in it. And we read on down there. I, in the interest of time, I just want to go down to the 11th verse. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. <laughs> There's warnings in the Scripture. And we need to heed those warnings. And if we will heed those warnings, it will keep us out of deep water and, and, and quicksand. And in keeping them, there is great reward. There again, I'm not saying that, okay, if we do all of this, you can count on being a rich person. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that God will be faithful to bless us. He said, I will meet all of your needs according to our, my riches and glory in Christ Jesus. There are many other ways to be blessed and have peace of mind. But saints of God, we money is not a trivial matter. It's something that we need to be careful with. Now those are kind of, I guess in in words and terms, daily terms that we might be familiar with, that's kind of strategic type issues. Now let's get into the tactical issues, if you will, as far as money is concerned. Tactic number one, what do you think it is? Say it louder. Everybody say it together. Tithing. Now, if this, if this message gets recorded and goes on the internet or whatever it is, I say this. I want the people in Africa, India, Caribbean, Philippines, North America, Johnson City, Tennessee, hear this word. If you don't hear anything else this morning, if you don't take anything away except one thing, take this. The first principle of financial stewardship is tithing. (laughs) 
Malachi 3.8. You just heard it a zillion times. Maybe we need to hear it again. Chapter 3, verse 8 through 12. I may not read it all, but will a mere mortal rob God? Boy, that is really should shake us to our bootstraps. Will a mere man, a mere mortal, rob God? None of us would sit here and say out loud that we would rob God. Well, he says we do. We do because we rob him in tithes and offerings. And it said, and I read this from the NIV just particularly because I like this term. He says, if you do this, test me, he says, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Mm. I grew up on the Tennessee River and there's a series of dams on that river and they, they generate electric power and they have these spillways that when the, the lake gets too high on the other, uh, uh, above the dam, they will open the spillways. And it's, it's a, quite a thing to see. They just pull those gates up and then this, this massive amounts of water flows over. That, that's, that's what I see here. In my mind's eye, I see God with His hand on the solenoid switch to say, if people will trust me and test me, I will push the button and the floodgates of heaven will open and I will, I will bestow on them a blessing that they cannot even take it, they cannot have room enough to store it. That's number one. We know that. We know what to do. People will quibble about, well, is it 10% of the gross or is it 10% of the net or is it this or it's that? You cannot outgive God. My personal feeling is you just take it off the top. Whatever it is, take it off the top. God owns it all anyway. <laughs> he, said he, he said He'd take care of us. Just let Him have it. You know, God loves a cheerful giver. I know get, tithe is not giving, but he, I think He loves a cheerful tither too. Tactic number two. Work hard. Be a faithful provider for the needs of your family. Now, I know there are as many different personal situations in here as there are people in here. But this is the Word of God, 1 Timothy 5 and 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, as I said before, we all go through tough patches from time to time. But if we will bring our needs before God, and I would submit to you, this can be a very contentious issue between a husband and a wife. Put that aside. That is not the pattern of God. The pattern of God is is that you come together... Kneel before God, hand in hand, and you bring your needs before the Lord. And then you get up from your knees and you use every waking hour if necessary to do what you need to, to find work to provide for your family. Now I'm not saying it's not going to be hard and it doesn't come easily, that it comes easily, but I believe with all my heart if this is the intention of our heart, and we we bring it before the Lord, He will help us 
in this way. Proverbs 24, 30 and 30 through 34. I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense. I saw that it was overgrown with nettles, it was covered with weeds, and its walls were broken down. Then as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. (laughs) That's from the New Living Translation. God does not want us to be lazy. Tactic number three, develop financial goals. Now, I'm not talking about, okay, I want to be a millionaire by age 40. I'm talking about simple things. I want to save so that I can replace my vehicle by such and such a time. I, I want to try to pay off my house and get out of mortgage debt by a certain period of time. These are all things. But if, if we have no goals, if, we play, if we've heard the expression, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You may say, well, there's no way for me to even... No, no, I don't even have enough to get by. I just go week to week. There again, I would say, sit down and follow the pattern of God. You do not know what might happen if you sit down and start putting pencil to paper. Start actually seeing where your money is going. We had an expression where I worked. It said, in God we trust. Everyone else brings data. And so that's... That's what we need to do. We need to know where, you know, where the money is going. For which of you, Luke 14, 28 through 30, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to. To finish. Proverbs 16 and 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. Let's leave room for God to do a miracle if we will exercise faithfulness. Even when it looks like the situation is hopeless and impossible. That's when God will show up, I believe. Proverbs 16 and 9. In their hearts... Humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. That's not a negative thing. It's not saying there's no need to plan your course because God's going to do what He's going to do. He says, no, you plan your course and God will direct your steps. Tactic number four, develop a budget. This scripture, which I'm going to read, doesn't exactly apply, but I kind of like it in a a way because of what it says. We need to know where our money is going. And we need to plan for how it's going to go in and how it's going to go out. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 from the NIV. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. If you don't have a budget and stick to it, it just flies away. It just gets away from you and you don't even exactly know where it's gone. It takes effort to do this, but this is basic stewardship responsibility. We think, that's not spiritual, God's not interested. Oh, yes, He is. He is interested in these things because He is seeing if we can prove to be faithful in these things, 
then we prove to be faithful in, in what He has for us in His kingdom. Tactic number five, develop a savings plan. Proverbs 3 and 25, The ants are a people not strong, but yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Proverbs 13 and 11, Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. Don't go out there and buy lottery tickets and and jump on the next first hot tip you receive, you know. Those things... There's a way that seemeth right unto a man. (laughs) Tactic number six. Avoid fear and greed. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? People develop a love of money for two basic reasons. Fear or greed. They accumulate excessive wealth because they think they will not have enough to cover every possible eventuality. Matthew 6, 24 and 25, No man can serve two masters. For either, either, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I don't think he's saying to us, don't even think about that. Just go on your merry way, use your credit card, get debt, you know, God will take care of it all. Take no thought. No, he's saying, I think he's saying to us, if you are walking according to the pattern of God, don't be anxious about it. Don't be white. Don't, I don't want you worry. I, I want you to get in a position where you are not constantly worrying about that. Luke 12 and 15. Then he said, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Ecclesiastes 5 and 13. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. I don't think God is opposed to us enjoying the fruits of our labor. If He has blessed us with whatever, it's a gift from Him. It is to be received and enjoyed as such. The key is to learn to enjoy it with God's blessing, but using the gift according to God's desires and not according to the ways of the world. I'm going to move along in the interest of time. I'll give you a couple of scriptures here. Ecclesiastes 5 and 18 through 20. That's a, that's a good scripture that should give us some feeling that it's okay to enjoy the fruit of our labors. We just need to keep it in balance. Tactic number seven, avoid the use of debt. <clears throat> Proverbs 22 and 7, The rich ruleth over the poor, and the bar is servant to the lender. I came across this definition, and I, I think it ha- I think it can be helpful to us. It was it's a definition by a man named Larry Burkett, who was a financial advi- a Christian financial advisor. He used to have a radio program. He's a very devoted man. He died of cancer, but this is what he said: Scriptural debt is the inability to meet obligations agreed upon. In other words, when a person buys something on credit terms, that is not necessarily 
scriptural debt. It is a contract. But when the terms of the contract are violated, scriptural debt occurs. Now, say just a bit more about that. You know, some there are things you, you sometimes buy a house on credit. You buy a car on credit or you buy other major purchases on credit. Or sometimes you just use your credit card and pay it off every month. But what he is saying here is, is that we should be sure before we buy something on time or credit, so to speak, that we have done the best we can to ensure that we can meet the, the obligations of that contract. But when we, for whatever reason, cannot meet that contract, then debt occurs and the oppression of debt settles in on us. And people usually get in trouble with debt for three reasons. One is they presume upon the future. They assume that the next ten years will be just like the last ten years, especially if the last ten years were good. When I retired, that's exactly what people thought. Oh, we can take our money, we can invest in anything, everything's making money. You know, we don't need an advisor. We don't need anything. We just go everything. You could put it anywhere. Everything was growing. The next year, boom, down it came. (laughs) And then a few years after that, it recovered a little bit, and then down again, it came. We cannot presume upon the future. God wants us to follow His basic principles, even in the area of finances. Don't look to the right. Don't look to the left. Look at the Word of God. James 4, 13 through 15. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this, that city, or go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So we don't want to presume upon the future. We don't want to assume that because things are rosy today, we're making lots of money, we're doing this, we can go out and buy a new bass boat and a fancy car and all this stuff because it's never going to stop. That, that's, not, that's not the way God wants. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. We need to be wise about that. Avoid a consumptive lifestyle. It gets us into trouble. Number two. People are not willing to wait on God to provide the means to pay for what they want. So they go out and they buy and they buy and they buy. And pretty soon they're in trouble. We over-leverage ourselves with the motive of getting rich quickly. Ecclesiastes 11 and 2 says, Give a portion to seven, also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. If you have, if God has blessed you with a little bit of savings or whatever to to invest, put it put it wisely. Don't go out and take somebody's hot tip and try to get rich quick. Proverbs thirteen and eleven says, "Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow." Let's not be greedy. Be satisfied to do things. God's way. And and finally, I'll close with this scripture. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. I think this kind of sums it up for me. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, 
nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, he's speaking of those that have, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. When we come to this as come to the latter stage of our guess of our life, we don't want to be like the man that says, Well, you know, I have this, I have that, I will just uh Eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy myself. God wants us to enjoy life. I'm not saying that. But what He really wants us to do, if we find ourselves at that point, to be willing to share with those, with others. Because that's what God has given us, not to just, not just, just to spend on ourselves, but to help, help others, to give of, if He has, If He has been good to us in that way, let us share it. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.